Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. The Guardian. Hey Chips fans, we're taking a break this week, but don't fret, we'll be back next week with one of our special crossover episodes with our favourite sister podcast, Science Weekly, all about dark patterns. Not sure what those are? You've almost certainly experienced them for yourself. Like when you're trying to book a flight and the website tells you there are lots of other people looking at the booking to hurry you up. In several instances, we found websites fabricating these messages. For example, we could look at the source code that was generating them. And we often saw random initialization counters that would simply refresh when you load the page. Uh, So in those cases, we were certainly able to confidently say that the messages themselves are deceptive. Or when you've accidentally paid for a subscription when you thought you'd just signed up for a free trial. Some of the most uh, deceptive patterns are are those that really lead to financial harm to consumers. And I think hidden subscription is certainly one of those deceptive patterns. I'll be chatting about them next week with the wonderful Ian Sample. But for this week, you may have heard about Facebook's new venture into the land of cryptocurrency, Libra. Well, our pal Alex Hearn wrote last week that the US Congress has asked Facebook to pause development on their long-awaited plans to launch Libra because they need more time to investigate the potential impacts. Facebook's plan is to allow its more than 2 billion monthly users worldwide to carry out financial transactions using the platform. But cryptocurrency isn't always about money. So we're throwing back to an episode from last summer where we looked at how artists are using cryptocurrency to ask a huge philosophical question. What is the value of a human life? Hope you enjoy this episode, which we've called Draw Me Like One of Your Blockchains. The technology likely to have the greatest impact on the next few decades has arrived. And it's not social media, it's not big data, it's not robotics, it's not even AI. And you'll be surprised to learn that it's the underlying technology of digital currencies like Bitcoin. It's called the blockchain. So how are you feeling about doing an episode on blockchain? Uh, Sick to my stomach. (laughs) Really? You went that dramatic with it? I feel like blockchain is probably my least favorite buzzword of the past couple of years. Why? Because it's not just one that I feel like I can ignore because it keeps coming up. I know we've been avoiding doing a podcast on it so far, but I feel like 
we're kind of ignoring this huge thing that loads of people are really interested in, even though I still don't understand why they're all really interested in it. <laughs> I really like that we're looking at it in an artistic way. Yeah. Simply because I got to make really good fun of the Titanic line, draw me like your other French girls. Is that the... Draw me like one of your French girls. Is that the line, yeah? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie in years. Draw me like one of your blockchains. Blockchain. It's one of those words that seems to just make people switch off. But don't switch this podcast off or you'll miss out on a story that features kidnapping, blood and Lamborghinis. Not what you think of when I say the word blockchain, right? It turns out that while we were all letting our eyes pass over any headline that included the word, blockchains have become more and more popular outside of the original tech-obsessed user base. The blockchain has joined the likes of painting, sculpture, and photography as a medium for artists. So I, I turned myself into a coin or a token, as, as they call them, on the Ethereum blockchain. This was a response to uh, a, a couple of years of, of sort of feeling commodified uh, as an artist, where the, the attention was moving from the artistic value of my work uh, to the uh, monetary value. And so I, I think in an attempt to sort of gain some control over this, uh, this narrative, I decided to treat myself like a coin, not a currency, but again, like this token, and, and put myself in the hands of the masses. I'm Jordan Erica Weber, and this week I find out why artists are turning to blockchain for inspiration, and how they can use the technology to explore one of the biggest questions we have. What is the value of a human life? This is Chips With Everything. You don't need to know the nuts and bolts of exactly how a blockchain works to understand the role it can play in a work of art, but just to get a grasp on the basics, I went in search of someone who could give me a quick explainer. Yeah, my name's Cathy Mulligan and I'm a visiting researcher at Imperial College London. Uh, I have been researching cryptocurrencies for uh, several years, since about 2010. Um, Cathy was also the former co-director of the Imperial College Centre for Cryptocurrency Research. As she explains, it can be difficult to get people interested in the research that she does. Well, I think it's like any new uh, technology, isn't it? You won't really pay attention to it until you realise exactly how it might actually affect your life, your day-to-day -day life. Um, so what we've seen is a huge uptake from what I call geeks, if you will, and I am one of those. Um, <laughs> so it's uh, very much a technology-focused, technology-interested public uh, originally. But we've seen it sort of expand slowly but surely to uh, other people in the broader community. And that's been driven quite a lot, I think, one by interest from press people like yourselves have been talking about it a lot and explaining this to people so that's great but also we've seen a number of applications emerge that make it simpler to understand how to buy and sell cryptocurrency on on your mobiles or on your on your laptop i should point out that while they're often discussed together bitcoin and blockchain are not the same thing this cryptocurrency is supported by a blockchain but I needed Cathy to explain how. Yeah, so if you think about it, a blockchain is a way to create an irrefutable record of a transaction happening. That's the very high-level perspective. We can go into the technical details, which is that in order to create trust in our financial system, for example, today, we have the Bank of England. Um, the Bank of England is on all of our currency, and they provide the trust. In order to do that in blockchain, what we say is, well, we get every single 
person or every single node on the network to store a copy of every single transaction. So the idea is we create trust through radical transparency. Think of it like this. When you're playing football with your friends, you probably don't have a referee. Instead, you all know what the score is at each point throughout the game, and that score can't be changed unless most of you think it should be. Back in the world of technology, say you have a peer-to-peer network, that is, a group of interconnected participants who all have the same privileges as each other, like a group of friends, rather than being connected to some centralized authority, like a ref. If that network uses a blockchain, that means that each participant has an identical copy of a record of events, like the score, that can't be changed without consensus. While I'd love to be able to say that I came up with that analogy myself, I know even less about football than I do about blockchain. I saw it in a Medium post. Now, back to Cathy. So there were people who quite honestly believed that if you built these kind of decentralised financial instruments, if you will, so Bitcoin was obviously the big first application of that nature, um, that you would be able to disrupt uh, the established order of things, sort of crypto anarchists. This is going to be one of the watershed days in financial markets history. It was a manic Monday in the financial markets. The Dow tumbled more than 500 points after two pillars of the street tumbled over the weekend. Lehman Brothers, a 158-year-old firm, filed for bankruptcy. So if we look back to when uh, Bitcoin was released, you know, many people talk about it being in response to the global financial crisis. And, uh, you know, the the financial system still really uh, suffers from systemic risk. So the problems haven't been fixed. So, you know, many people feel that using that, you can create a completely decentralised economy or structure. Crypto anarchists are interested in privacy and anonymity. And the 2008 inventor of the blockchain is no different. The person who wrote the paper, or the people who wrote the paper, called themselves Satoshi Nakamoto. Satoshi Nakamoto is a pseudonym, and even the experts aren't really sure whether it represents an individual person or a group. Nakamoto created the first blockchain database as part of the implementation of Bitcoin, as a secure and transparent way to record transactions. But it doesn't have to be money. A blockchain can be used to record all sorts of things. The big change for cryptocurrency is it's not just a, you know, a pound coin that I would give someone or a 20 pound coin on a cryptocurrency. Um, I could give them the deeds to my house. So, you know, my could be less than 20 pounds, who knows, my house. Um, (laughs) But uh, other types of examples are medical records or indeed degree records. So we had a a little uh, student project one year where they were registering degrees onto the Bitcoin network in order to remove the um, problem associated with students saying either they have a degree that they don't have or they have the marks you know, they, they give themselves a first when they go for jobs instead of a 2-1. So I think the, the thing about the cryptocurrency aspect of this is that it takes us into a new understanding of what value actually is. You know, I think the potential for the technology is really big uh, in removing costs from established industries, but also creating new types of industry. Because the one thing that blockchain will allow to happen is it will allow individuals and you know very small companies to coordinate with one another in their own micro supply chains so that could actually have an impact on 
the overall industrial structure of a couple of industries. It seems like lately things are shifting. So blockchain has been around for long enough now that it's not just these kind of crypto anarchists and early adopters that are using it, but even the creative industries are getting involved. Have you heard about this? Yeah, I mean, what blockchain actually represents is a challenge to some of our cultural norms. It's a challenge to the way we structure the economy, the society. It has an impact on our environment. It actually speaks to a number of different things that we as human beings have to think about deeply as we move forward in you know, our society and economy. And I think for me, blockchain actually represents that final drop in the digital tsunami. It's now the way to help us reform and reshape our economy. And I think that speaks probably to artists in a really deep way because it's something that might help them challenge social norms. And if they're the type of artist that wants to challenge that, then potentially it's a a brilliant tool to use for that. So whether or not you fully understand exactly how blockchains work, it's clear they're spreading throughout society. And given the questions their use is raising about how we value things, it's unsurprising that artists have started to take an interest. In the process of talking about the how and why we value anything at all, I came to realize that people are very quick to ascribe value to things, that they don't have a problem with that, but they have a complicated relationship when things are priceless. More on this after this short break. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. It's time to focus. The mood in the UK right now, it seems to me, is a huge set of tensions and contradictions and emotions and feelings about our past, and we're not thinking very much about the future. Today in Focus is the new daily podcast from The Guardian. Join me, Anushka Astana, for the best stories from our journalists around the world. Subscribe now to Today in Focus from The Guardian. Welcome back to Chips With Everything. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. Before the break, I tried my best to get my head around blockchain with the help of computer scientist Kathy Mulligan. She also explained how blockchain is becoming a popular tool with creative industries. I'm Kevin Abosh. I'm an artist. I deal with issues around value, identity, and human currency. 
It turns out that Kevin has done some very interesting things with blockchain technology. For example, he turned himself into a coin. My producer Danielle called him on Skype to find out more. This was a response to uh, a, a couple of years of, of sort of feeling commodified uh, as an artist, where the, the attention was moving from the artistic value of my work uh, to the uh, monetary value. And so I, I think in an attempt to sort of uh, gain some control over this, uh, this narrative, I decided to treat myself like a coin, not a currency, but again, like this token, and, and put myself in the hands of the masses. And I did that through what I refer to as a sort of a logical and emotional process, whereby I had my blood drawn. Uh, my wife is a doctor, so that's, that's not too difficult. Um, Thank God. I, cre- I, yeah, <laughs> I, created a, uh, I created a token on the blockchain, 10 million of them, uh, each divisible to 18 decimal places. When you create a, uh, a token uh, via what's called a smart contract, a bit of coding, um, it generates a, a contract address on the blockchain, this uh, alphanumeric of 42 letters and numbers. And so I had a rubber stamp made with that alphanumeric and used my blood to print uh, on paper. So there were these physical artworks, and then there was the virtual artwork. Tell me about Lambo, because you managed to sell a piece of art or crypto art, or however you'd like to describe it, for more than what an actual Lamborghini would start selling at. So how did you manage that, and why did you do that? I'd been working on a number of, of pieces around this I Am A Coin project. I put out on social media a, a work called uh, Stealing the Contents of This Wallet is a Crime, where I put up a wallet, a private key. I filled it with these these tokens, which are essentially pieces of me. There was a warning on, on the work that said Stealing the Contents of This Wallet is a Crime. And over five days, those pieces of me were stolen or slowly removed. Uh, well, I, and I would argue that a crime did was committed because there are pieces of me, it's potentially a kidnapping. In now being part of that that world of, of, of cryptocurrency. I, I was very much part of the world of blockchain and technology, but not cryptocurrency. I started to become aware on uh, on Twitter and social media of the uh, crypto bros that are focused on, on, on making a lot of money. And there's this sort of this hashtag they use, hashtag Lambo, that is this sort of declaration for success identity. As I, as I started to consider it, I realized, no, there was a little bit of irony there. In fact, they were just, they were declaring to their tribe that they were an active participant in this crypto zeitgeist and the insanity of it all. Then I created a token on the Ethereum blockchain, again, a unique token, a single one called Yellow Lambo. I thought yellow is a nice color for a Lamborghini if you're, if you're going to get one. So there's this virtual work that you can't see. Again, an intermediary proxy. And then I bring it back into the world via a 10-foot uh, neon sculpture. It was, it was sold to um, a gentleman named Michael Jackson, uh, who was the uh, uh, former COO, Chief Operating Officer of Skype. Even more interesting, however, is the question that inspired Kevin's latest project, How Do We Value Human Life?, which he explored in a collaboration with artist and activist Ai Weiwei, called Priceless. I've said before, you know, we from the moment we were born, people try to ascribe value to us. There are those that will dismiss individuals or groups of people because they don't feel they can uh, they can extract value out of them. And so, in the process of talking about the how and why we value anything at all, I 
came to realize that people are very quick to ascribe value to things, that they don't have a problem with that. I mean, it, it comes naturally. But they have a complicated relationship when things are priceless. Would you, if you could, if I say to you, give me $1,000 or you lose your mother's life, that's, that's a no-brainer. There's $1,000. But then if I say there's somebody you'll never see, uh, they're in Myanmar, for instance, and uh, give me $1,000 and we'll spare their life. Suddenly, you know, it's like, well, I've only got a thousand bucks, and I don't know who that is. I mean, I mean, it's it's a weird, perverse, perverse way of looking at things. But I like to think of things coming from this kind of extreme point of view. These works aren't exactly like we can walk into a museum and it's up on the wall and we can see it. So, how do you present these works? With these, we considered our time together and pulled out moments, seemingly banal, fleeting moments, things we may have forgotten about, like sharing tea together or walking down a certain street or him saying to me that I have a big nose and I look back at him and say, you have a big nose. Just like little things that, you know, may be forgotten. We extracted those moments just as sort of case studies or just, uh, you know, they're infinite amount of moments, but those are the ones we, we we pulled out 12 of them and created a a wallet uh, address on the blockchain. So we created these wallet addresses on the Ethereum blockchain that correspond to each of these shared moments. And inside the wallet, we sort of validated or inoculated with a a nominal amount of like a couple billionths of a a priceless token. And so those works exist uh, in a very limited edition. And then, of course, we have the the token, which is arguably the more interesting part of the work, because Weiwei and I made only two tokens, but they're still divisible to 18 decimal places. So one of those tokens is not available. It's unattainable. It's priceless. The other token is. So again, it comes down to that idea that there's one token, but it is divisible to 18 decimal places, right? So it's a a billionth billionth. So if I give you a hundred millionth, you you really have enough to break off everybody on the planet uh, a billionth of of a priceless token. In releasing this work, Kevin and Weiwei hope to prompt discussion about the value of the things we call priceless. So what's next for this crypto artist? Well, apparently we shouldn't even call him that. You know, I, I, I would be surprised in six months if I'm still using blockchain as a method to make art. And that's what I'm doing. I'm using it as a method. So it's in the same way I'm, you might go buy some canvas or uh, you know, some wire mesh or something, you know, that, to create art. I'm, I'm just using blockchain as a method. Like I said, I'm using these, these uh, blockchain addresses as proxies. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, that'll run its course and, and I'll move on. That said, I think because of this moment in time and blockchain's impact on, on society, I mean, and, and it is having a huge impact on society, I think because of that, I will probably, for the rest of my life, be asked to weigh in on all of this that we're discussing. So and I'm okay with that. I'm fine with that. I may make some crypto art, but I don't identify as a crypto artist. As Kevin says, blockchain isn't going anywhere. But the next time someone tries to talk to you about it, maybe you can use your newfound knowledge of artworks like Priceless as a way to change the conversation. I'd like to thank Kathy Mulligan and Kevin Abosh for joining us on the show this week. There will be a link to Kevin's website on this week's episode description on The Guardian website. If you want to talk about blockchain, I'm probably not the best person. But if you do want to get in touch about this episode or any other thoughts or ideas you have, 
just send an email to chipspodcast at theguardian.com. That's all for this week. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. Thanks for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.